I spoke a word in anger to one who was my friend. Like a knife, it cut him deeply, a wound that was hard to mend. That word so thoughtlessly uttered, I would we could both forget. But its echo lives and memory gives the recollection yet. How many hearts are broken, how many friends are lost by some kind, sorry, by some unkind words spoken before we count the cost. But a word or deed of kindness will repay a hundredfold for it echoes again in the hearts of men and carries a joy untold. We live, uh, we live in a really angry world. You don't need to look uh, very far across humanity to see people who are angry, who are deeply angry, who, are, who, uh, uh, who, sh- who reveal uh, through their, their attitudes and their actions a, a deep internal anger. Um, you don't need to look very far in the Bible either. There is anger all over the Bible from... <laughs> Page to page, there's a lot of angry people in the Bible. Uh, let, let me give you a few uh, stories from the Bible. Think about the second sin of, of mankind, Cain and Abel. That was a sin of anger. Genesis 4, the, the story is that um, they each bring an offering to the Lord and the Lord looks upon Abel's offering with favor and Cain gets jealous. And it says this in, in Genesis 4, 5, sorry, 4, 4, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell and he kills his brother. We don't know how he killed him, but we knew that it, was, uh, it would have been pretty brutal. He was really angry, really upset at his brother, so he, 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 uh, he strikes the guy. Look at Saul. Saul was, uh, Saul was an angry king. You can say that for sure. So uh, there's a situation where... Uh, Jonathan and David, uh, they're close, close uh, friends and um, David suspects that Saul wants to kill him so he takes a leave of absence at a feast um, and he's like, I might just sit this one out uh, and, and uh, Saul during the feast uh, comes and questions Jonathan as to where David is. He says this uh, and, and, um, uh, and he realizes that David's missing. And he says this to his, his son, Jonathan. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Now we know the mo- modern language that he's using there, right? Like we know, that's, pretty, that's a pretty easy translation. Uh, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? It's David. Do I not know that you've chosen David to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. These are, these are really, really strong words. Like these are, it's very, very uh, uh, deep anger there. And then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. And a... And a and Jonathan wakes up. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. It's like, that, that's probably clear enough. When someone throws a spear at you, you probably know that they mean what they say. You probably know they're pretty angry. And uh, Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David. Jonah, listen to, to Jonah. The story of Jonah is God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and to deliver a message on behalf of him. And he... Uh, he runs the other way and, and he refuses and gets on a boat and sails in the opposite direction. And uh, 
storm arises, they throw him off the boat. We all know the story of Jonah getting swallowed by a fish for a couple of days and then spat up on the beach. And he's like, all right, finally, I'll eventually go. And this is in that, in that setting just outside of the city. He's, he's resting outside of the city. And, um, and there's th- this little uh, uh, event happens over two days. And listen to John, uh, Jonah's response. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant in Jonah 4.6, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. So this, on the first day, Jonah's outside of the city. God causes a plant to grow up overnight so that Jonah might have shade that day. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So overnight, worms get at the roots, plant dies. Second day, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Like, I'm hearing a 12-year-old teenage boy at this stage. It's like, really? Like, it's, really, it's better for you to die right now than, than to live. And God responds. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And this is like, this is a laugh, right? This is, you're like, what, come on, what's the joke? And, uh, and then God says back to him, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? And so Jonah, in the middle of this incredible uh, outpouring of God's mercy on this city, gets angry at a plant. It just, ho- just has a little tantrum with God. Um, gets really angry because this plant dies and a, and a worm causes it to wither. Um, Samson. Samson is just a, a very powerful picture of, of anger in, uh, in the book of Judges. In Judges uh, 14 and 15, there's, this, there's a story uh, where uh, Samson and his wife uh, have a bit of an argument and, th- and they spend a little bit of time apart and then Samson comes to, to be reconciled with his wife and comes back um, to meet her and, and we pick it up in chapter 15. After some days, the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Right, we're going to go have a meal together. We're going to reconcile. And he said, I will go into my wife in a chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Dumbest father of the year award. Goes to, is not her younger sister more beautiful than, than she? And for the second year running, right? It's like, just like, what are you doing, man? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, and hear this in the deepest brooding language you can possibly hear, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. It's like, I might just sit this one out. It's going to take a week. Vacation. I'm just checking out for this one, guys. I'll come back and catch you later. And what happens after that story? He goes out. This is the incredible story where he catches the foxes, catches 300 foxes and ties their tails together, lights their tails on fire and sets them running through the Philistines' grain. And, uh, and the grain lights on fire and it burns, uh, burns their, their food, their harvest. And, uh, and that's some serious Anger. You'll see this all through the Bible. You'll see time and time again stories of people that are really angry um, uh, in the midst of conflict. Uh, not only is it in the Bible, uh, think about today. Think about uh, the culture we live in. Think about the, 
the, um, the, the leaders. Think about uh, the time and place we live in right here today. Um, think about Parliament House. We've got really angry leaders. When's the last time you watched like a hearing, right, or, or a debate? Um, there was a video of our Prime Minister uh, a couple of months ago uh, online uh, uh, where he rebuked the opposition leader for some, for some stances, but it was just an angry rant. He was just, he was just scathingly angry at the opposition leader, just pouring out just, just foul comments against him. And he's just angry. He's just so angry. And you just go, man, what? Like, is there any other way to do this? Do we have another way to do this? Do we have another way to disagree with someone than just to turn into some sort of animal? Think about uh, music and the, the number of genres that are built on anger and aggression, right? Like this is every school mum in the car on the way home from the school drop-off. Just like, boom, the CD's on and the angry, aggressive music for the drive home, right? All the... All the no, apparently not. <laughs> apparently this is just uh, young men. But, you know, think about the, the number of genres of music that are really aggressive and are really angry. Uh, think about media and the, the portrayal of men. I, I, I would almost suggest that um, for men, if they're not funny, they're angry. Like that's almost the only two pictures we have for men. I was thinking about the movie uh, Stepdad and there's... Um, uh, um, Sorry, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. This, this other guy, Will Ferrell, he's like the comedy guy. He's like the no-hoper. No one really ever takes him seriously. And Mark Wahlberg's the angry guy, right? And it's like those are the only two real pictures we have for men in the media, right? You're, you're either a joke and no one takes you seriously or you're just angry and you're mean and you're tough and you're abusive. Think about um, or, or consider the, the statistics from the, AB, the ABS on, um, on assault. At least two out of five assaults uh, during last year, last year were FDV related, so family and domestic violence related. Two out of every five is assaults within families. And I think that's pretty well connected to anger. Think about murder. 42% of murders were FDV related. Last year, 42%. That is an enormous <laughs> amount of murder happening within a, a family unit. Um, think about relationships. If you've ever had a friend, you've seen someone angry. If you've ever been a friend, you've been angry. Where there is conflict, there is opportunity for anger. The, the, the fabric of humanity is broken by sin and anger runs rife. Just to push it a little bit further, the problem is uh, ultimately that anger just isn't just outside of us, but it's inside of us. And anger is in our hearts. And that's where we see the most trouble. Like it'd be really nice if it was just out there, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it is. Anger rules our hearts. Think about what anger does to us. It, it cripples us. Anger humiliates us. It blinds us, it drives us, it fuels us. As hard as we try, we are continually caught off guard. Anger it sneaks up on us, hijacks our relationships, hijacks our attitude. It blinds us to what is true and good. 
it seems like at times trimming the behavior you know when when you resolve okay i'm not going to be angry anymore it seems like trimming the behavior is like ripping off the back of a tick it just burrows deeper and regrows again there's a frustration there i just can't overcome it i've tried i've tried uh, fixing my behavior i've tried this stuff but it doesn't work and it fuels anger and we can't escape it why is it so wrong why is anger so wrong let me let me suggest suggest a couple of reasons uh, anger is is so wrong and it's such a a dangerous thing that we need to consider one our, our sinful anger only thinks about ourselves we make life about ourselves in our anger anger leads us to live in our own story right this is all that matters now think about i want you to think about the conversations you've had about the outbursts you've had when you've been angry think about specific specific moments with your if you're married good grief i am talking about your spouse those conversations if you've if you've got friends if you've got workmates if you've got uh, a boss that really frustrates you to get really angry with think about specific moments as i talk about this anger leads us to live in our own story to abandon god's story and the truth he leads us in right that's not important right now this is what's important my focus is entirely on this this is what matters the temptation for all of us is to regard my anger as righteous indignation and other people's anger as bad temper right if you're having an argument with someone right now i'm experiencing righteous indignation and you've just got a bad temper and you need to fix yourself up buddy right like that's the way anger goes but it's not true think about the uh, the non-negotiation in anger the refusal to accept alternatives there isn't an alternative this is what we're doing this is what is true this it's like what <laughs> don't be so sure about yourself right but anger sinful anger leads us to regard our own anger as righteous indignation it looks different for everyone just in case you're sitting here thinking well i'm not really an angry person you are it just looks different it expresses itself in different ways consider some of these ways sulking you sulk mope around the house when you're angry at someone passive aggressive manipulative outbursts harsh tones sarcasm every teenager in the room right now right <laughs> what was that it's nonsense but you're angry all right judgmentalism belittling right so authoritative belittling defensiveness dismissiveness right i'm not angry it just doesn't matter to me I'm, just, I'm getting mixed messages right like it's it doesn't matter no it doesn't matter it's like, uh, it really looks like it matters it just leave it you know okay you're angry all right i think i think it's clear enough we're angry people our sinful anger takes matters into our own hands now this is this is a really uh important caution when we become angry we fall in, into the temptation to become the judge right we play god we establish ourselves as the one who is right and we order and enforce judgment on those that are against us 
Anger leads us to trust in ourselves and take matters into our own hands. If this doesn't change, I will make it change. Think about those conversations. When's the last time you made a threat or an ultimatum? Or you gave someone an either or. There are only these options. Either this happens or this. You made demands. Think about the way that you take matters into your own hands when you're angry. So the reality is that sin has corrupted us. It, it has ruined anger. We need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit to overcome sinful anger and to affect righteous anger. Most of the time, our anger serves ourselves and our sinful desires for control when rather it should serve God and His holiness. Let's pick it up in Ephesians 4 and we'll read Ephesians 4.26. We're, we're at uh, a chapter in Ephesians where for the first three chapters, Paul has been unpacking rich biblical uh, realities for the Christian. This is your life now. This is what God has done. This is how uh, much He's poured out His grace on you. This is the reality. And the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6, is so this is how you ought to respond. This is how you should live in light of the reality of His grace, the reality of His mercy, the reality of His spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon you in Jesus. So think about that as we continue to talk about this today. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What an incredible instruction, right? It could not be clearer. Be angry. Now you, got, you have to ask, where's this coming from? It's like, does Paul really know what he's asking for? Is he actually instructing us to be angry? Like he doesn't really know, right? He doesn't know what he's asking for. But he does. Paul says this because he understands that God is angry. Not, fundamenti not fundamentally angry. God isn't characteristically angry. God is angry because He is righteous. His anger is a byproduct of His righteousness. Think about this. Evil has perverted God's world. It corrupts His design. It corrupts what is good and true and beautiful. It angers God that His goodness gets perverted, that evil twists and disfigures his glory. His righteousness demands anger over such destructive perversion, right? We've got a sandpit at our house and uh, uh, my daughter loves to build, uh, well, she calls them castles, um, but small statues of, of sand and my son loves to destroy them, right? And it makes sense that she would be angry when she pours her time and effort and care into designing a beautiful little castle. It makes sense that she'd be angry when her brother comes and jumps all over it and stumps on it and laughs, right? And just going, oh, I had this beautiful design and it's been perverted. God's righteousness has to lead to anger because evil has perverted his world. See, sinful anger is more concerned with men than God. We tend to get angrier when our pride gets stepped on than when God's glory is defamed, right? Like, think about that. We get 
far angrier when someone steps on our pride than when God's glory is defamed. Think about the contrast there. That, that should humble you. We get far angrier at traffic than we do at sex trafficking, right? Yelling your head off on the road. Oh my goodness, how inconvenient is this? I'm trying to get somewhere, right? When there are these brutal realities ruining God's design. God's beautiful, precious, intended design. Our anger is righteous when we are angered over evil that profanes God's holiness. It's righteous, it's good when we are angered by the things that make God angry. We care more about God's reputation than our own. Let me give you a few pictures of this in in Scripture. Exodus 32 is the um, giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up the mountain and God's glory descends on the mountain and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And the people at the foot of the mountain, and um, <laughs> they, they, they get bored and they go, let's make, a, let's make something to worship. So everyone tossing your jewelry, will melt it, we'll make a calf and we'll bow down and we'll worship it. And Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments after being in the presence of God's glory. And Exodus 32, 19 says this, As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Right? Like, that's a righteous anger. It's like, are you kidding me? The glory of God is right there. And you melt your jewelry and worship an idol. It's like, is there anything more insane? He is right there. Like, the glory of God is covering that mountain. Moses comes down and the people are worshiping an idol. We don't really care. We couldn't give a stuff. We are happy to defame God's glory. Mark 3 tells a story of um, the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They're, they're trying to catch him. They're always trying to catch him off guard, trying to twist, him arm, uh, twist his arm, catch him in the wrong situation, prove him wrong. And, um, and Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus is, is about to heal a man and they're watching him and they're, they're, they're keeping an eye on what he's doing. Um, and Mark 3, 3 says this, Again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And then he said to them, It is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or, to, or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. In verse 5, But he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. We see here, Jesus' anger is a righteous anger. There's a longing for the Pharisees to understand, right? Like there's a grief in his anger. See this again in uh, Matthew 23. Jesus, uh, just at the end, Matthew 23, if you want to wake up and uh, really put the heavy on yourself for the day, read Matthew 23. It is a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees. He delivers, Jesus delivers these seven 
enormous rebukes. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you. Woe to you. And uh, straight on the tail end of that, um, it, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. And he says this in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Righteous anger breaks our hearts. Righteous anger comes with tears, right? Like if it doesn't, then it's probably not righteous anger and, and there's probably not love in it. Are you heartbroken by the evil that perverts God's world? Does it frustrate you? Does it move you? Does it stir you? This kind of anger, righteous anger, humbles us because we start with ourselves. We start by looking at the log in our own eyes. We start by realizing that we're the ones that pervert God's world, that we're the ones that invite evil into His world. It's us. We are the ones that allow it. We are the ones that invite evil into God's world. And so we find righteous anger to be humbling and deeply troubling. Righteous anger is modeled by God and governed by His love. Look at God's character. You remember at the start I said that God isn't fundamentally angry. Anger is a byproduct of His righteousness. Look at the character of God. Exodus 34, when He first reveals Himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are the qualities that shape our righteous anger. There's a longing for mercy to triumph over judgment. This means that in the context of, of conflict and frustration and anger, we pursue acts of redemption in love where possible, wherever possible. Reconciliation, redemption in love. We long for people to be restored. There's a longing there. And lastly, about righteous anger. Righteous anger acts swiftly when necessary. Proverbs 24, 11, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. The murder of unborn children. Abuse of any form. Ethnic injustice. Sex trafficking, human slavery, adultery, persecution. These things should deeply anger the Christian, right? You should find your heart choking on those things. Think about the effect they have on God's world. Think about His design for humanity. And what those things do to it. Be angry. God's call to us through Paul in Ephesians is to be angry. To be angry like God is angry. And he so wisely follows that up with, and do not sin. 
right? Just before we get too carried away, Paul goes, and do not sin. Now, to a degree, sinless anger is impossible because sin affects everything. It affects everything that we think and say and do. But God still, does, still calls us to do this. He knows that, He sees that, and He still calls us to do this. Do not sin. How can we sin in anger? Anger can be a form of control, right? Like a, a dissatisfaction about a situation that we're facing and a rallying against it, just railing against it. I cannot handle this. I need to do something. And control becomes the problem. Listen to the, the, uh, the balm of Psalm 37. If, you're, if you find yourself in that kind of situation, listen to this. If anger is for you a form of control, like I'm angry because I'm trying to control things, Psalm 37, He will not forsake His saints. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So if, if and when you find yourself in the situation where anger for you is a means of control, hear the call of the psalmist. Fret not yourself. He will not forsake you. God will not forsake you. Anger in this context can say, God's forsaken me. I need to take this into my own hands. I'm willing to accept that there's a good chance only evil is going to come from this. But it's more important to me that something happens than that I submit to God. Furthermore, anger can become self-centered. A proud heart taking on the role of God in frustrating situations, right? Like, I need to do something about this so that I can receive justice. James 4, 6 challenges us in those situations. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Anger in this situation is saying, I am a slave to my desires. My desire is for control. And if I can't have that, I will fight for it. I will fight to regain control. There's a real pride there. I'm enslaved enough by my desire for control. I'm proud enough to fight and quarrel my way back to my self-preserved reality. The hope for the Christian in that moment is submission. Submission to God's good sovereign authority over everything humility given by the power of the holy spirit in the christian's heart is grace welcoming god in his grace listen to james submit yourselves therefore to god why god opposes the proud but gives grace you want to you want to receive grace in anger submit yourself to God, the heart that humbles itself in moments of temptation and anger is the heart that is revived by grace. So when you're in a moment, th- again, think practically. Think about the situations that, uh, that just set you off. When you are facing that moment, 
the heart that humbles itself in the temptation to anger is the heart that is revived by grace, the very thing that you need. And lastly, anger can tempt us to trust in ourselves. And I've said this already, but if this is you, if you uh, feel the temptation to take matters into your own hands, I need, to, I need to work this out. So trust in me and my effort. Listen to Psalm 4.4. This is the psalm that Paul quotes in Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Seba. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. The psalmist, the psalms here encourage us to trust in God. Reflect on our hearts. Go, go sit on your bed and reflect in your heart. Quieten yourself. Discipline yourself. Resist the urge to become angry and allow God to speak to you in that moment. God is leading us in that. Just stop. Think about it. Think about my goodness. Think about what I'm like. Think about the way that I lead you. Remember who rules over the world. Quieten yourself. If you, if you regularly are challenged to be angry at home, put, put Psalm 4 on your wall, right? Just put it. I need to go sit on the bed. I need to stop myself. I need to go sit on the bed and think about the way God is with me. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. The third part of the verse says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He who goes to bed angry has the devil for a bedfellow. Never take your enemies to bed with you. All right? That's an old Latin saying. Uh, look, the, the reality of this is uh, uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Just, just when we think about this, we think about uh, everything needs to be resolved. I just want to draw a little bit of a distinction. This isn't a legalistic command. This is a guideline, right? So if, if you're having an argument with your wife, you're not like taping the light switch on and putting on loud music so you can both stay awake to resolve it, right? It's not like, this needs to be fixed right now. It's like asleep and just like lolling around. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, we're angry. We need to resolve this. No, no, no. This is a guideline, right? Make every effort. To not let the sun go down on anger. Look, here's the, here's the reality. Time doesn't always heal. In fact, it rarely heals. Time by itself does very little, right? Time can heal, but not without real, tangible confession, correction, repentance, and forgiveness. Right? So just giving something time doesn't necessarily help you in any way. In fact, it... it makes it worse. Delayed reconciliation is almost always more difficult, right? And, and for a few reasons. Uh, one is that it, seem, it seems less necessary. Delayed reconciliation tempts you to think that your sin is less terrible than it really is, right? Oh, it wasn't really that bad. We don't really need reconciliation. It wasn't that bad. No, 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 no. You do. You really need it. It's worse than you think, right? Don't fall for the lie of delayed reconciliation. Reconciliation will not seem as sweet as it really is. Do not delay. Have you had a night where anger has kept you awake? You know, you're just stewing on a situation. You cannot let it go. 
you know, at, at times we can become judge and, and refuse to let go of the offense for fear that we won't get everything we deserve, right? Like if I drop this, if I let go of this, it might not be made right. I might not get what I'm owed. Listen to the pride in that, right? Listen to the way we're trusting ourselves in that. If I let go of this, what are you, the enforcer here? Like, what's going on, man? Like, what did you turn into Zeus? What, you got a lightning bolt in your hand or something? We forget that God is the one who governs everything and everyone from past eternity into eternity future. We forget that God is the one who gives us the things that we need, particularly sleep. Listen to Psalm 127. If you stay awake, if you lie awake in anger, listen to this. Is it, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Who's in control here? Who gives you what you need? God does. Think about the story that your anger tells. Does your story tell an uh, sorry, does your anger tell a story of a righteous God, or does your anger tell a story of an injustice against you? What story does your anger tell? The principle here is clear. Um, I, won't, I won't say much more about it. It isn't good to sleep on your anger. Relinquish anger, extend forgiveness, reconcile with each other. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that things will go back to normal or that things will ever be the same. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. But it means that you are letting go of any power you might have and trusting God to be at work in your heart. Trusting God to be at work in their heart. God designed the day. God's good design for a 24-hour day involves time for us to process Time for us to be angry, but then to draw the line, let it go and go to bed. Taking your anger to bed will not produce the justice you long for. And give no opportunity to the devil. The last part of the verse there. Sinful anger gives an opportunity to the devil. He wants to, uh, the devil would love to produce the things that 12, 2 Corinthians 12 talk about, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Sinful anger is a catalyst for these things. Satan preys on angry hearts. Our anger welcomes him to wreak havoc in our hearts and relationships. Again, here's Psalm 37, refrain from anger. Paul says this in, in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 10. There was, there was someone that had, uh, in the church in Corinth, had offended Paul, uh, had, had done the wrong thing by him and, and, and a, a number of the leaders. And Paul writes in his second letter to them in 2 Corinthians 2, 10, says this, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So Paul chooses to forgive uh, a party in, in their church that has, has worked against him and has offended him so that the church wouldn't be outwitted by Satan. 
be quick to forgive. Give it to God. Let it go. This doesn't diminish the consequences. This doesn't diminish that relationships will change, but it allows um, to move past anger. How should you respond? For the last section, I want to just look at how um, we might respond. How should we respond to God's call in Ephesians 4, verse 26 and, and 27? Let me, give you a, um, let me give you a really surface level response that I don't think is adequate. Now, we might, we might think about this. Um, uh, th- this is a part of it, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's not large enough. Um, swallowing angry words before you say them is better than having to eat them afterwards. The speech research unit of Kenyon College pr- proved through tests that when a person is shouted at, he simply cannot help but shout back. We all know this reality, right? It's like, why are we yelling? It's like, because you were yelling and then I started yelling and then it got a bit louder. Then I got, And it's like, wh- how do we get here? You can use this scientific knowledge to keep another person from becoming angry. Control the other person's tone of voice by your own voice. Psychology has proved that if you keep your voice soft, you will not become angry. <laughs> That's a big statement, <laughs> right? Psychology has accepted as scientific the, biblical, the old biblical injunction, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Right? So apparently, keeping your voice calm can restrain anger. I would like to see that work in my house. It's not, it's not enough, right? When we think about how we should respond to anger, often the default is to respond to the behavior, right? Like if I could just fix this behavior, if I could just implement some strategies, I'll be less angry, right? So if every time someone confronts me or a conflict confronts me, if I give them a soft answer, perhaps then I will overcome anger. It's not enough, right? Like, come on, we're all going, nah, not going to work, nah, nah, out the door. Now, that's a good, that's a good principle, right? But that is, not, that is not a holistic approach to, uh, to, to growing beyond sinful anger. The question is, does your anger control you or, or do you control your anger? Satan wants to intensify your righteous anger against sin to the point where it becomes sinful. Even notice that, even in righteous anger, Satan wants to push you so far that your response uh, uh, to sin is, is too much. It's too sinful. You begin to think about it the wrong way. I have to do something. Nothing will change if I don't do something. I am the key component here. I am the agent of change. You know where the clearest intersection between sinful anger and righteous anger is? clearest intersection is at the cross at the cross you see this this sweet intersection the anger of of men the sinful anger of men unjustly condemning the son of god to be crucified you hear them yelling crucify him crucify him you hear the confused ruler what what has this man done wrong i don't get it i don't understand why would we be crucifying you see the anger of sinful Men, and at the same time, you see God's plan. You see God's righteous anger against sin, sending Jesus to die, to bear His wrath against sin so that we might not receive it. Listen to Romans 3.23 to 
25, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. If you don't have an ESV Bible, you're going to miss this. So it's important that you get an ESV Bible. Um, the word propitiation there. That is the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. Right? So he's saying God was really angry at sin. And someone had to take that anger. Someone had to bear that anger. In the Old Testament, a quote here from... Um, a commentary in the Old Testament. On the great day of atonement, the high priest carried the blood of the sacrifice he offered for all the people within the veil and sprinkled with it the mercy seat and so made propitiation. So the high priest would bring the blood of the sacrifice before God as an offering and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in order to satisfy God's wrath. So God was angry at sin and an offering needed to be made. At the cross, Jesus became this offering for us. Jesus became the high priest who shed his own blood as a perfect sacrifice that God's wrath might be satisfied forever. God is ultimately righteous and we are ultimately saved. That's the hope for the angry Christian. That is the hope for all of us, the Savior who bore the wrath of God so that we might receive His grace. That we can stand in awe of God who holds everything together, who has ultimate control, who works for our good, who delivers us from our sin, and who will ultimately judge everyone, both those who receive Christ and those who reject so we can live in that freedom. There is a freedom in knowing that. Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You think you're a good judge? Not even close. To the wrath of God. So our call today is to be angry like God is angry. Be angry at the things that God is angry at. Spend your efforts, spend your anger on that. Resist the temptation to be sinfully angry. Resist that temptation and grow in your heart a desire to be righteously angry, to genuinely and deeply care about the things that pervert God's world. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Heavenly Father, we, we need help. I need help. I need so much help. Just think about how quickly I can get angry. How it, sometimes it seems like it just springs on me and all of a sudden, there it is. Sinful anger. Holy Spirit, would you uh, uh, grow in us uh, a resistance to sinful anger? Would you grow in us a, a, uh, 
almost a buffer, a buffer of trusting in God, of trusting that He's in control, of allowing things to be outside of our control, that we might not be sinfully angry. And, and at the same time, would you grow in us a desire um, uh, uh, against the things that you're against? Would you grow in us righteous anger, a, a deep frustration, a deep turmoil against the things that corrupt your world? Holy Spirit, be at work to that effect, that we might be Christians that are righteously angry and who resist sinful anger. Amen.